0: I became a Christian in the 1980s. I was in Guernsey. I was staying with my sister at the time. And my sister had become a Christian the year before. And in that, some of you will remember a sort of first flush of excitement. She bought a lot of books that year. Well, very untypically for Guernsey, the whole of the summer, 40 days and 40 nights, it rained. And so I read, and I read, and I read lots of Christian books. And I think that probably one of them actually was the first edition of this amazing book, Bill Hybel's Too Busy Not to Pray. Anyway, in one of the prayer books, um, it gave a little recommendation. It said, if you've got prayer requests, why don't you write them on a card? And then, as they're answered, you can put them into a box that says answered. and, And this will be very encouraging. So filled with my new Christian enthusiasm, I did that. When I got home, some of you who are old enough will recognize an SMA white baby milk, powdered milk tin. And I, as I got my prayers answered, I put them in there. And that was lovely. And then I forgot about it. But a few years later, I was rummaging through a toy box, and I found it again. And I, beside it were the prayers that hadn't yet got into the box. So I read through the whole lot, and I found that a lot of them did go in. And that was really good, because I had all these yeses. And there were some that were clearly no's, and retrospectively, I could see why. Some of them were pretty pathetic, um, selfish, or whatever. Lots of different reasons they weren't in there. And then there were a few that I would call the long-haul ones. So I got a reminder of things that I could keep on praying for. Now, in this book, Chapter 8, Bill Hybels gives really nice concise explanation of lots of the reasons that we get wait or no. I'm really only going to deal with the no's today. To be truthful, those no's I had then, they weren't very painful. Um, But since then, uh, reality has hit. Um, And I'm sure that the longer that you've been on this planet too, many of you have the reality of some major, major, big things that really mattered to you that never got answered. They caused you devastation And anguish and pain you might have for example um, perhaps one of your children um, had a marriage that was going wrong and you prayed and prayed and they got divorced perhaps you yourself longed to be married and it never happened or you wanted a child for years and years and now it's too late you had a loved one they got sick many of us will have loved ones and relatives that we prayed for and they never got better and i think that for those of us who have really seen god do wonderful things answer many many prayers then not only is it completely devastating when those prayers aren't answered, but it's the pains compounded by confusion. You've probably wondered, well, if those prayers are answered, then why not mine? What, what was wrong with my prayer? And you might start to think, as, as C.S. Lewis did, well, isn't God powerful enough? But I know he's powerful enough, so then doesn't he care enough? Or if he cares enough, doesn't he care enough about my pain, my loved one? And you can react, and I think it's very tempting to react in a way that makes you run away from God, or if you don't run away, to pull back, because you want to protect yourself, because, well have been let down and we all react very differently to this kind of disappointment many of you will know that a year ago my sister's grandson ollie at seven months old was suddenly very ill and she being a strong christian saturday four o'clock started phoning people please pray please play and i did the same I phoned everyone I knew. Lots and lots of people in this church prayed earnestly. I can honestly say that for almost the only time in my life, I prayed nearly all night. And I woke up on Sunday morning sure that my sister was going to phone and say, he's on the mend. But it wasn't like that. Um, By midnight, Ollie was dead. And some time later, I said to my sister, how did you stay close to God during that period? And she said, I didn't. I didn't know who he was anymore. I didn't know if I could trust him. She and I don't react the same way. Those who know me, many of you have actually seen my grandson Sam here. Well, five years ago, when he was born, or just before he was born, the hospital made a huge mistake And he was actually born dead, and they revived him. But for the first few days, we didn't know if he was going to make it or not. And we did know that if he did make it, he would, for certain, be very, very seriously physically disabled and possibly very seriously mentally disabled as well. Mercifully, he was spared the latter. Well, what did I do? I clung... To God for dear life. I pleaded, I begged, I cried, I got angry a couple of times, but mainly I just clung. And I wasn't being holy, I was being desperate. I just didn't feel there was any other choice. And um, I am reminded of uh, the Apostle Peter. Um, in, In the chapter in John 6, Jesus starts to explain to a lot of his followers that he's not going to be the triumphal leader that they think he's going to be. He's not going to ride on a horse, to be the conquering hero. He's not about to get rid of the Romans out of their territory. It's not going to be triumph and victory. And many, many of his followers deserted him. And then Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you don't want to leave me too, do you? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. And when he said, Lord, to whom shall I go? I think in Peter there was this massive disappointment He could sense there was something incredibly special about Jesus. He was this amazing person, but Peter felt let down. But he had nowhere else to go. There wasn't anywhere else to go because Jesus was the only one that could answer at least some of Peter's needs. Well, I felt disappointed. I felt let down. I prayed practically every day for nine months before Sam was born. I prayed for a safe birth, and now he was damaged. And I have seen and heard of amazing healings. I believed that God could rescue Ollie. I believed that my my son's child would be born healthy. What do we do with this? Suffering is surrounded by mystery. You know, when people don't believe in God, it's probably their biggest issue, isn't it? They say to you, well, I don't get how you can believe in God because why would there be a good, powerful God and so much suffering in the world? I don't want a God like that. And the requests we're making are good things. They're in God's will. It's right to want a baby when you're married. It's right to want your children's divorce to be not happen. It's right to pray for people to be healed. But unspeakable tragedies do happen, and they always have. And I'm going to read some of Bill Hybel's words here because I think he explains a little bit of this in a way that I wouldn't be able to do as well. He says, it is critical to remember that despite the victory God has achieved over Satan in the ministry and resurrection of Christ, not everything is submitted to God yet. The enemy is still active. His years are counted and his end is sure. But in the meantime, he still remains the prince of this world, opposing the ways of God at every turn. He causes much suffering and he often seems to have the upper hand. But make no mistake, God will have the final say, and he will assert his universal sovereignty in salvation and judgment at Christ's second coming. Because of this ultimate victory, Christians have the assurance that those very prayers that remained unanswered in this life will receive spectacular vindication, in eternity. And we're promised in Revelation that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. The problem for us is we don't have God's eternal perspective. We can't. Little old us, we're in the thick of it. Only God can see the end from the beginning. In that lovely passage, Jeremiah's wonderful prophecy that was read out, the people in those days heard this amazing prophecy which, promise, which is described as a gracious promise. In that case, it was quite undeserved, of a return to their promised land. And this is the promise, and lots of you will have received this promise on your own individually at some point. I know the plans I have for you. God knows, not I know, not we know. God knows the plans he has for us. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The problem for the people in those days was it's prefaced by when 70 years are completed for Babylon. And the people who heard that amazing promise, it wasn't them that was going to receive the freedom. They weren't going to be freed from captivity. It was their grandchildren and perhaps some of their children. In God's eternal plan, his people would be restored. But meantime, what did God do? God didn't abandon them. God was with them. His prophets were there with them. How do we live with the ongoing pain on our journey? How do we hold on to the trust in God's goodness that we maybe once had? This is how I do it. When I look back on day one when my grandson Sam was born, this is what I remember the most. And with the most pain. I was looking at my son in his pain. And I couldn't make it better. And I was never going to be able to make it better. And James was looking at his son. And he couldn't make him better. And he was never going to be able to make him better. And there is a lot of agony in that. But now it gives me the smidgen of a glimpse of the amazing love that God has got for us. Because back before time as we know it, God knew what he was going to do. I didn't choose to be in my place. God chose to watch his son being spat on, tortured with his hands and his feet nailed to a cross and he could have stopped it and he didn't and Jesus allowed it to happen to him and he could have climbed off the cross at any point and he didn't and he didn't because he loves us and he wanted Us to be able to experience everlasting life with him and that's how I know that I can trust God because of what he's done for me because if I'd been the only human being on this world he would have done it for me and if you were the only human being on this world he'd have done it for you such love such compassion that's how I know my God is good what more could I ask of him And what more proof do I need? A while after Ollie died, my sister was invited by her church to a day of healing ministry by a visiting monk. And she didn't want to go. And she told her husband she wasn't going. And people kept saying, I think it'd be good. And in the end, out of kind of politeness, And with reluctance and trepidation, she went. But what she found there was such overwhelming love and peace and compassion and the beginning of a major healing process. He'd been just waiting for her to be ready to come to him. He's there. He's there in the thick of it. He never promised life would be easy. He knows about suffering. Why did he do it? It's a bit like the hymn, freely you gave it all for us. Surrendered your life upon that cross. Great is the love poured out for all. This is our God. Because he could see in his eternal perspective, he could see Easter. Lifted on high from death to life, forever our God is glorified and we can share in that glory. He never promised life would be easy, did he? He never promised that we wouldn't suffer, but he's there with us. And it turns out that we don't actually need an explanation or a reason for these Awful things so much as we need to go to the God who understands our suffering because when we're in pain, we look round for someone who knows about it. And God has said, I will never, I will never, I will never forsake you. And He never has not for a second, not for a day. Some of you have huge disappointments, tragedies, pains in your life, ongoing. It's so tempting to protect ourselves, not to go near God, not to, not to open up fully to God. Don't let's shut ourselves off from the ultimate source of love and understanding. I can just tell you God has been my rock, is my rock, will always be my rock. And in the midst of the pain, quite surprisingly, there's so much joy. He's waiting for you with open arms. He longs to comfort you. Let God into your pain and have our broken heart restored. We can trust in the God who gave his life for us. God's just waiting to love you. Amen. Amen.